Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin our morning worship service today. We'd like to take this time to welcome each and every one that's here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. We'd like to invite you back at 4 p.m. for our evening service. And our midweek start service starts at 7 with devotional and Bible class. Does anybody know what's happening four weeks from today? Daylight savings time starts. <laughs> Springs the following week. But anyway, I was looking at this morning and told Mary and something to look forward to. Hopefully, it'll stop snowing on the weekends. I think it's done at five or six in a row. Just a couple things I wanted to make note of this morning. Eleanor Lenny Jean Franz. Grandparents, Darren and Teresa Baker. This is Emma's new baby that was born this past week. So congratulations to the Bakers at the introduction of their new granddaughter. Also, keep this in mind, men's retreat is in a month, March the 18th and 19th. Keep that on your calendar if you would. We haven't been able to have that for a couple years. Two years ago, we were hearing about COVID, and all of a sudden, we had to cancel everything. Last year, it got bad. So, But anyway, hopefully this year, everything goes, and we can continue with redoing, re-implementing everything that we were doing before COVID. I'd like to read this morning, before we begin, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, if you'd like to follow along. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height? To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Would you bow with me, please, as we enter our worship service? Father, we are thankful for this day of life that you've given us, for the opportunity we have to come at this time to worship you. We're thankful for your Son who came and died for each of us. We ask your blessings on our sick this morning, especially be with Kristen and watch over her and her family with James and Braden and Mason. Bless them and her mom and dad and, and her sister. Give them strength. Be with Marvin and Judy and pray that they continue to improve. Watch over them. Be with others, Father, that are sick. We pray for our shut-ins that you watch over them also. Go with us through this service. Be with John as he leads us in our singing and as we surround that table and as Chris presents us with a lesson. Pray the things that we do will be in accordance with your will. Forgive us, Father, of our sins. In thy son's name we pray and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please?
First Tim this morning, number 238. Holy, holy, holy. 238. <clears throat> holy, holy, holy. Lord God Number 244, 244, hold to God's unchanging hand. And then after this hand, Brother Greg Sullivan will have our scripture reading and prayer.
Scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Timothy. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. Just come to you this morning, Father, thanking you for this opportunity that we can come in this building, Father, and worship you. Father, we are mindful of the ones that cannot be with us today, whether they are sick or shut in, Father. Just pray that you comfort them in the ways that you know how. Father, we just pray that the things done throughout this service are pleasing in your sight. Just ask a special prayer for Chris as he presents the lesson to us. May we take something from it and apply it to our lives. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And forgive us, Father, of the sins that we have committed. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 495. Oh, the depth and the riches. 495. The depth and the riches of God's saving grace, flowing heaven across for thee. There the death for my sin, by the Savior was paid, in his suffering Oh, 
Tomorrow is February the 14th, so guys, if you did not remember, you have 24 hours to get that Valentine's Day gift. Um, there's your not-so-subtle hint. But as we think about love um, this coming uh, tomorrow, uh, you know, the idea of love changes throughout your life. You know, when, when I was a boy... My idea of love came from my parents. They gave me food. They let me have a place to stay. They bought me toys. They occasionally spanked me and made me do chores. But overall, you know, that was my, that was what the pinnacle of what I thought love was, was, was what my parents showed me. You know, as, in 2008, as I grew older, I was in college, I met this beautiful blonde that changed my idea of what love was. And so at that point, I, in 2011, when I got married, I said, this, this is love. You know, there, there can be no other greater version of love. You know, forget the parents. You know, she's it. Um, but in 2014 and again in 2016, my idea of what love was was forever changed. You know, I've got, you guys have seen the two little uh, munchkins runs around. Um, they're loud and they don't listen very well, but... They showed me the day they were born what love could be uh, in my life. Uh, I'd never experienced that kind of love. You know, the, thinking about the love that a parent showed me, the love that my wife has showed me, both are great examples of what love could be. But when it came to my children, it was a love that um, surpassed all my earthly understanding of what uh, love could be in my life. And so as we gather around this table and we're thinking about this idea of love, we, we obviously think of, of Jesus. You know, in John 15, he tells his disciples that uh, no greater love is, uh, can be shown than this, that one be laid down his life for his friends. And the very next verse, and he says, and you are my friends, if you do what I command. Jesus considered us friends, not just casual acquaintances, but he considered us friends willing for for him to lay down his life for us. When we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. You know, and as, I, as I think about that and as I'm preparing this, these thoughts, you know, at the ripe old age of 33, my idea of love has shifted a little bit and, and what it means. And even in this passage, uh, my understanding of it. And I, and I think about that love that I can experience, this earthly love of, with my children, and I, I think about it, Jesus' Father. I think about God, and, and, you know, certainly Jesus loved us and was willing to come here, but imagine the love of the Father. You know, John tells us that for God so loved the world that he was willing to give his son. That's not, that's not a love I can understand. You know, God so loved each and every one of us that he was willing to give his own son 
for us. You know, I wouldn't trade my kids for this whole room full of people. In fact, if it came between my son or the world, I'm going to pick my sons. But God loved us and showed us a a deeper meaning of love. Um, What love truly was when he was willing to send his son uh, to Calvary's cross. Uh, and and for for his son to choose to do that uh, for us, we're just we're surrounded by love, and as that's really what we uh, focus uh, this time for is to sacri- the sacrifice and the act of love that he was willing to make for each and every one of us. So as we bow and uh, we give thanks for the bread, which represents that body of Jesus that he willingly gave as a gift of love. Uh, so let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for, for your love for us that you were willing to send your Son and, and allow him to, to deal with that pain and agony and, and all the, the, the negative things that he was going to have to experience in his life. But we know, Lord, that you loved us so much that you were willing to, to send your Son and that he was loved us enough that he was willing to endure that so that someday through our, through our obedience to you that we might have that home in heaven with him forever. We ask that you bless this bread, which represents his body that was given on Calvary's cross as a gift of love. Bless those who partake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This time we'll now give thanks for the fruit of the vine, which represents Christ's blood shed on Calvary's cross for our sins. Let's go God in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we're so thankful for for your love. Even at times when we don't deserve it, we know that you loved us so much. And we're so thankful for that gift of love that you showed by sending your son and for him to shed his pure and sinless blood on Calvary's cross so that through his shedding of blood we might be uh, cleansed of our sins. We ask that you bless this fruit of the vine, which represents that blood of the new covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time we'd like to give an offering on the, uh, or a blessing on the offering. Uh, the, the containers are in the back. Um, feel free to give um, cheerfully. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for all of our many blessings in life. We know, Lord, that all good things come from you. We're so thankful for that we are blessed beyond, beyond measure. We ask that you help us to be mindful of our many blessings and bless the contribution that is gathered here today that the funds may be used to help spread your message throughout this community and throughout this world. Again, we love you and thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 213, He Gave Me a Song.
So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. 213. He took my burdens all away, not to have a fire, and he gave me a song. I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to sing in my heart to all the bells ring. He gave me a song. Invitation hymn this morning, number 655. 655. There's a fountain free. Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to be back with you uh, this week. We have uh, just come from the lectureship at Freed Harmony University. We had a wonderful time there and appreciate uh, Dave filling in for me and uh, you guys giving me the time off to go back and get uh, recharged there and it's uh, where we graduated from. Kelly and I both graduated from there, and so we are. It's kind of like going back home for us. We we see several people we haven't gotten to see in a while. We hear lessons uh, and lectures that are um, building revival in us, and so we're we're grateful for that opportunity. Today we're going to be in First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three. We're taking a a, a one week hiatus from our. Uh, study of the book of Hebrews. Next week we'll be back in Hebrews chapter 9. But this week we are, we're going to focus in on 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 8. 
This is the passage that Greg read for us this morning. It's the qualifications for deacons. And so we're going to take some time to, to look over these qualifications and to, to figure out what kind of man uh, the Bible's talking about here. We want to do Bible things, Bible ways. And uh, the appointment of deacons uh, and the work of deacons is a Bible thing. And so we are going to delve into this text this morning uh, and see, along with some other passages, specifically Acts chapter 7, uh, and see what God would have these men to look like, act like, and be. So, the very first qualification here in, Acts, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued. You're going to see that a couple of times throughout this passage. Paul is going to put two things. He, these, are, these are couplets. <coughs> Excuse me. Brought back some allergies or something from uh, West Tennessee. Compliments of West Tennessee for us. <laughs> and the swamps there don't like me. Um, so you'll see Paul talking in couplets uh, with deacons like he does with elders earlier in this same chapter. It's almost like he's trying to give you two sides to the same coin. Uh, one of these um, descriptive uh, elements of a deacon, uh, his, his work, his ministry, his life, uh, will help you understand what kind of man he ought to be. But the other one comes in and it f- gives you a more full picture. And so we're going to look at these in, in couplets today. And so the first one is this idea of dignified, not double-tongued. If you look back in the original, dignified is literally honest. I'm not sure why they translated it dignified here. I don't think that's a very good translation. Uh, I think honest is a better translation. So we're looking at a guy who has integrity. Um, Integrity like maybe John Wayne would think of integrity. You give this guy a job and he will do it. Turn back over to Acts chapter 7. If you don't go there in your uh, your Bibles, maybe just flip there in your minds. Remember that that passage with me for just a second. In Acts chapter 7, the first century church, the Jerusalem congregation, is appointing its very first deacons. These are the first deacons in all of Scripture, and they're found right here in Jerusalem in, in Acts chapter 7. So these guys are appointed because there are some Greek widows <coughs> sorry, who have fallen on hard times. Uh, these are Jewish ladies who are, who are from outside Jerusalem. So you, you're familiar, of course, with the context here. The first century church uh, just blossoms on the day of Pentecost. Uh, 3,000 people come to Christ on that day. More are still there because of Pentecost. They hear. And we are left to assume that the church just grows and grows and grows by leaps and bounds uh, from Pentecost onward. And as the years progress, people don't want to leave. They don't go back home. And so you find people from Asia Minor and Turkey and Greece and, and places like that where they, they came in for Passover, they stayed for Pentecost because that's what you do. Uh, if you're a good Jewish person, you come to Passover uh, because you have to. God said uh, you have to come back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple three times a year. One of those times is Passover. The next one is 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. And so if you're going to come from way far away, you just stay those 50 days. So that's what they've done. They stayed those 50 days and now they're worshiping again on the day of Pentecost. But then something happens. This guy stands up and he starts talking about this carpenter that they killed uh, just a few days ago. But that he's 
not dead anymore. He was actually God's son that he came to die for your sins and you're the ones who killed him and now you need to repent. And so 3,000 people do repent and they are baptized that day and revolution sweeps through Jerusalem. And so people just stay in Jerusalem and the years pass and the church grows and everyone's happy except there are problems where people, (laughs) mankind is concerned, we bring problems with us, don't we? And so there are some ladies in the congregation who have become widows and they are not from Jerusalem. They are from very far away. And so their support system is not in Jerusalem. It is very far away. And so they are needing the church's help. And so the apostles can't do this. They cannot <coughs> excuse me, help a group this size in this way. Uh, to do that, they would have had to stop evangelizing. And the apostles say, that's not what we came to do. We can't, we can't help this segment of the church, but someone can while we go out and we do what God's appointed us to do. And so these guys, the apostles, start looking around the congregation and they find seven guys who can fulfill this ministry. And they just let them have it. And we're not told about the apostles coming back and talking to these guys. We're not told about them having their finger on them and checking in on them and and talking about We're not told of any of those things because these guys had a job and they did it. That's nice, isn't it? It's nice when you can look at somebody and say, hey, I I need you to be able to do this job and you know that that job's going to be taken care of. When they nod their head and they say, I'll do it, you know that that job will be done. That's, what happened. that's what's happening in Acts chapter 7, and that's one of the qualifications I think here uh, when Paul talks to Timothy about the qualification for a deacon. He says this guy needs to be dignified, some translations say, but he's, he's, he's an honest. He's got some integrity. He's not double-tongued. He's not going to tell you he's going to do it and then not do it. Right? He's going to fulfill his ministry. This guy's a guy that you can put your trust in. This guy's worthy of, of your trust. He says he's going to do it, and it's going to get done. So <clears throat> there's another aspect to, to this word, uh, this idea of, of dignified or honest. It can also mean grave. Uh, I think the translation that uh, uh, Greg read for us included grave, and yours might as well. That kind of gives us the, the other side of this, this word. It's kind of big. Um, it's not just honest. It's, it's more than that. It's also grave or sober. These guys aren't silly. That's not saying that they don't have a sense of humor. They do. They can. Um, but they are intentional. They're purposeful. Um, they, they, um, they know when it's time to be serious. And so I think that's what he's trying to get across here with this idea of honest, uh, dignified grave, not double-tongued. This guy's got integrity. He says he's going to do it. He's going to do it. You don't, you don't have to watch over him to make sure that it happens. It, it's just going to happen. He's going to, get, he's going to get the job done. It's the next little bit here. He's not addicted to much wine. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. Thanks to Paul's couplets, we know that these two things go together. And so it gives us a broader view of what he's trying to get across here. So what do you think? Stop for just a second and try to think with me. What do you think Paul's trying to get across here? He says, this guy's not addicted to wine. He's not addicted to money. This guy 
has his passions under control. Well, under what kind of control? Well, under Jesus' control, of course, right? If Paul were writing in our day, what else might he put in this list? Have you ever thought about that? What, what else might Paul put in this list of things that don't distract this type of man? Well, I think in our day he'd probably include lust. Now, I don't want to write too much into this, but our world's inundated with that, with this idea of lust. I think Paul would, would draw our attention to that. This guy, he, he doesn't do that. He's not, he's not caught up with that. Well, why? Because this guy has brought his life to the cross and he's laid it down there. Right? That's Galatians 2.20. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. This guy, as a Christian, this, this is not just a, a qualification for a deacon. This is a qualification for a Christian. That's all of us, right? Once you've been baptized into Christ, you become a Christian. And that day, you lay your life down at the cross. And everything you do from then on is directed at him. All the, the, the control of your life, all the things that you love, all the things that you hate, all the things that you do, all the things that you think about, are all directed because of him, because of what he's done, because of his kingdom. So this guy's not, not addicted to much wine. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. <clears throat> he's completely submitted his life to Christ. Both his personal life, if we can put it like this, is illustrated by not being addicted to much wine. And so his personal life, his hobbies, his family, the things that he enjoys, all the stuff that when he's not at work. <coughs> Sorry. All those things have been submitted to Christ. But then also his professional life. He's not greedy. Uh, he's not a greedy guy. We know some of those guys who are driven. Uh, it's not just men, but people. We are driven by greed sometimes. We're driven by the, the financial security is what we call it. But the Bible would call it greed. Right? Having money is not a bad thing. Loving money is the bad thing. I think that what, that's what Paul's trying to get across here to Timothy. This guy has taken his personal life and he's taken his professional life and he's given the whole thing to Christ. And he said, do what you will with it. I'm yours completely, wholeheartedly. All the things that I love, all the things that I hate, every passion that I've got, I'm laying down at your feet. I'm yours. That's, that's the man that Paul's trying to get across to, to Timothy here. Everything has been sacrificed so this guy can be in line with a lifestyle that pleases Christ. And so he's not addicted to much wine. He's not greedy for dishonest gain. In verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9, he says, They must hold, these deacons, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You're not going to be able to pry this guy's faith out of his hands. Flip back over to Acts chapter 7. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 7. These guys have to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. While you're turning to Acts chapter 7, let me tell you about this mystery idea. Um, a mystery in Scripture isn't like Scooby-Doo. It's not something that you have to figure out. It's something that was once hidden 
but has now been revealed. And so he's talking about the gospel, essentially. And so our faith, essentially. So he's saying that they hold their faith with a clear conscience. So what does that look like? Well, like we say, you're not going to be able to pry this guy's faith out of him. It doesn't matter what um, temptations you put in front of this guy. Wine, lust, greed, money. It doesn't matter what you line up against him. He has lived his life in this world because we live here, right? We're not from this world and we're not going to this world, but we live here and we're in the middle of it. But he has not chosen any of those things. Do you know you choose those things? Do you know that? We choose these things. Every day we wake up and you make a, des- a decision to choose money or fame or lust or some addictive substance. We make a decision to choose those things over Christ. It's a decision. This guy has made a decision to choose Christ over all that stuff. It's the, it's the idea uh, that Paul talks about in Philippians 3, where he says he's counted all things as rubbish for Christ Jesus. That word rubbish is what you think it is. It's what you put in a trash can. He says all that stuff is just trash. Do you know what he'd been talking about when he says all that stuff is just trash? He was talking about his pedigree in, in, in Judaism, which is what every Jewish person would have held the most precious thing to them. This is the biggest deal. I, I don't know that we have something, that one thing that in an American life would be like the Jewish pedigree. We don't have anything that's significant enough to us to put on that kind of pedestal. I don't, I don't think. <coughs> Be like saying, uh, I count my house, my family, my cars, uh, my bank accounts, my vacation, all that stuff, everything I've got. I just I just throw it in the trash can so that I can be more like Christ. I count all that stuff as just trash. That's what this guy's done. He's made a decision to focus on Jesus and not focus on all this other stuff. Look at what happens in Acts chapter 7. These guys are appointed back in Acts chapter 6, right? We just talked about that. They, they were given a simple job. Eh, simple is probably a misnomer there. They were given a job. Feed and take care of these Greek Jewish widows. Seven men did it. Was that all they did? No, it's not. Right? A lot of times we think of deacons as just having a physical job. They don't. They have a spiritual job. There's a spiritual component. Well, why? They're just servants, right? Diakonos means servant. These guys are servants. So why is there a spiritual component? Because they're Christians. There's a spiritual component to who we are. In our, in our very being, we all do certain things. And these guys are examples to the rest of us as we to live more and more like Christ. You find a perfect example of that here in Acts chapter 7. When we think about these guys holding their faith, the mystery of the faith, with a clear conscience. You can't, you can't pry their faith out of their hands. You find this guy. His name's Stephen. He was one of the seven deacons, the very first ones 
he was one of the seven deacons that were appointed to take care of the Greek widows. Apparently, they do that. Um, one day, he gets into some trouble with the Jewish sect, uh, with Jewish leadership that's there in Jerusalem. We know that they can be a little testy, to put it lightly, because they're the same ones who killed Jesus, right? And so these guys are now up in arms because this sect that they thought was going away, this, these Jesus followers, they thought once they killed him, they, his followers are just disbanded. They haven't. They've just got to become more numerous and more problemsome and more devoted and more dedicated. And here's this guy, Stephen, who just won't shut up. He just won't stop. So what are they going to do? They're going to stop him. You stop talking about Jesus, Stephen. Stephen says, no, I don't think I will. And you have his words recorded for you here in Acts chapter 7. The entire chapter is devoted to Stephen's speech in front of these guys. Go back and read it. It's impressive. Stephen was not just a servant. We talk about these guys as being servants. They're not just servants. They're Christians. And so they live lives like the rest of us that are wholly devoted to Christ. They evangelize too. They serve too. Not just in their capacity, not just with their specific job, although we give them specific jobs because that's the way the Bible talks about these guys. Because the church needs specific jobs to be built up, to grow, to be edified, to, to be able to do the work that Jesus calls us to do. We give these guys specific jobs. And because of their integrity, they do them, right? Without oversight, without although there is, of course, oversight, but without having to stay on top of them, they do these things. And so when we're thinking about not being able to pry their faith out of them, Stephen comes immediately to our minds. He had to know that he was kicking the hornet's nest here, doesn't he? There's just no way, <coughs> after having read his speech and knowing what he has to know about the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, that this guy doesn't know that this is going to go south fast. He has to know the moment he opens his mouth and defends Jesus, there will be backlash, and that backlash will be severe and will most likely cost him his life. And he does it anyhow. He does it anyhow. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And we can learn a lot from this guy's faith, right? But when they tried to back down, what did he do? He stepped up. We need more men like Stephen. We need less dads, less men who are stepping back, who are backing down, who are not the leaders of their house, who are not leaders in the church. And we need more men who are focused on Christ, who are stepping up to the plate to do what God wants us to do. We can learn an awful lot from Stephen, but we have got to, we've got to move on. These guys hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Before we move on too far, I want to say this. When these guys are laying down, they put their head on their pillow at night, and they're going back through their day like the rest of us. You ever do that? When you lay down on your pillow, you're reviewing your day. You just got to sit in there thinking... What could I have done better? What did I miss? Are there opportunities that I should have taken that I didn't? Were there things that I said that I shouldn't have said? Were there things that I didn't say that I should have said? Uh, was I too harsh? Was I not harsh enough? Was I loving? As they're reviewing their, their day in their mind, 
There's no regrets. They don't have any regrets. That's not to say that they didn't do things that were wrong. That's not to say that they didn't miss opportunities. But these guys have so trained their minds that when they see an opportunity, they take it. They're servants. Incidentally, I think we all need to review our days when we go to sleep at night. Before you fall asleep tonight, review your day and think to yourself, did I, did I miss an opportunity today? Did, did I say something I shouldn't have said? Did I leave something unsaid that I should have said? Was I loving enough? Was I kind enough? Was, did I convey Jesus to, to people that I met today? I don't think this is just a deacon thing. I think this is a Christian thing. But these guys, when they review their, their day in their head, they don't have any regrets. And like we say, that's not because they were perfect. That's not because they had the best day. It's because when they see opportunities, they take them. This is a clear conscience. That's what Paul means. He doesn't mean that they're perfect. He uses this term a couple other times. Specifically, when he talks about elders in Timothy and Titus. He's going to use the same word, blameless. Um, but it doesn't mean perfect. Well, what's it mean then? Well, it means that as you look back on your life, you did the best you could with the knowledge you had. That's all you can ask, right? You do the best you can with, with the knowledge that you've got. You ever done something? Say you did something on a Monday, uh, and by Thursday, you've got more knowledge on that thing. Uh, on whatever it was you did, You've got some extra knowledge now, thanks to what happened on Monday. You've learned a little bit more, and now you know more. And if you had to do over again the thing you did on Monday, you would have done it differently, right? I think, I think deacons and Christians and elders and preachers and all of us look back on our day and think, I missed that, but I did the best I could with the knowledge that I had right then. Is it sin to do that? We mess up, right? We don't know everything where you can't be <coughs> perfect. But you do the best you can with the knowledge that you got right then. And then you ask for forgiveness if you've offended somebody else. These guys do that. They, they serve with a clear conscience. Okay, let's move on. Verse 10. And, they, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. There we are again with this word blameless. What Paul's trying to, is driving at here is these guys are already doing the job. We're just giving them a title. We're just giving them permission to do it, I suppose. They're already fulfilling the ministry. They're already doing the thing that they should be doing, that they're going to be doing after we appoint them as deacons. They're already doing some work in the church. We're just giving them license to do it. And so these guys are are out there doing those things. And once they prove themselves blameless, they're ready. And so they've been tested. They're already doing these things. They've been found uh, faithful. And so they are appointed. Verse 11, he does this really interesting thing where he starts talking about the qualifications for deacons' wives. He does the same thing with elders, right? Why? I thought we were appointing deacons, not, not deacons and their wives. Because this job, like a lot of other jobs, 
demands two. It takes two. Um, let's read the text and we'll get into it. Their wives likewise must be dignified. There's that word again. It's the same word that he used about deacons themselves earlier. This word of honesty, this, this integrity. <coughs> Man. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let's kind of deal with all four of those at once. So wives are, are honest. They're in, they have integrity. They're not slanders. They're sober-minded. They're faithful. What's Paul trying to drive at here? Why is he including these specific things? And what does it have to do with the work of a deacon? Why does he say wives specifically shouldn't be slanderous? Well, as a leader in the church, there will be decisions that are made that are not always that don't always sit well with some folks in the congregation, and those people were going to talk, aren't they? And if that gets back to the deacon's wife, right, and that person's castigating her husband, what's she going to do? What's any good wife going to do? Yeah, she's going to defend her husband as she should, right? That's what a good wife does she defends her husband and incidentally men valentine's day is coming up right we've been reminded of that he defends her too right it's not a marriage seminar but he defends her too that's our knee-jerk reaction and it's her knee-jerk reaction here when i think paul envisions a a situation here uh, in the ephesian congregation who by this point in the first century is known for (sighs) not good things um, Paul found this congregation early on in the first century and they had a bright light but as the first century kind of progresses they, um, they dwindle in their spirituality in their maturity they start, they start pulling back instead of stepping up like we talked about earlier they start pulling back and you find them still in the book of Revelation and Jesus has some harsh words for them there doesn't he because they're not who they ought to be this is about 30 years previous to that. And they're, they're struggling here and they're going to be struggling there. And so I think Paul envisions a situation here in the Ephesian congregation to Timothy where Timothy is supposed to be appointing these deacons, but he, he has a word of warning for them because as decisions are made in the congregation, some people are not going to like that in the Ephesian congregation, right? And so they're going to talk and word's going to get back to the deacon's wife, and she's going to protect her husband as she should. But Paul wants to remind them not to, for lack of a better term, make up things. Don't be slanderous. Don't be backbiting. Um, Speak truth. Have integrity. Deal with things gently. All that's caught up with this. Incidentally, this is free. I'll throw this in for free. Hebrews 13 since we're studying Hebrews, I just had to throw this in. Sorry. Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Verse 17. Don't be those kinds of people that talk like the, like the people in the Ephesian church, like, like we're kind of picturing them uh, today. Don't be like that. The Hebrew writer talks about that as well. Hebrews 13, verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As the decisions are made in this congregation by the elders, 
They're doing it for your benefit. That's what the Hebrew writer says. He says, don't, don't make it hard on them. They're trying to help you. That's why he says, as those who will have to give an account, they're taking the brunt of, of, this, of this judgment. And so what, what should your response be to their decisions and to their lives? Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. That's a silly thing. And so every time we groan and complain, we shoot ourselves in the foot. I think that's one of the reasons Paul talks about just the qualifications for deacons' wives. is because that's inevitable. It happens. But we need to be better. We can be better. We should be better. God's called us to better. Verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households as well. For those who serve, as, <clears throat> for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also <coughs> great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is very much akin to the same Qualification you find for elders. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> wow. Okay. Very much akin to the same qualification you find for elders. If a guy can't manage his own house well, his own family well, how's he going to take care of the church of God? So these guys, while they are not in the, the eldership position, while they're not in that, that type of leadership position, he's still looking forward to a man who has managed his own family well. If you can look at that man's family and think, yeah, they're, they're right on point. They're doing great. His wife's happy. His children are good. And they're, good's a vague term. They're, <laughs> they're obedient and, and, and uh, doing what's right. Often deacons' children are, often deacons children are little. They're small. And so they are uh, as yet untested. And so we find a difference there in elders' children. They're, they're older, and so they've, they've, they've come to faith themselves, uh, and they've, they've struggled through with some of these things. And so a deacon's family, you just kind of look at them and think, yeah, they've, they've, they seem to have it together. They're, they're, they're doing okay. You know, they're, they're, they're doing well. They're, they're moving, progressing along in the faith, as you would expect people of their age and of their maturity to be doing. If they're not, the guy shouldn't be a deacon. If he can't handle his own house, he can't handle a microcosm of the church. He can't, he can't deal with the whole church as, as a whole. Um, this last little term here in, in verse 13, I want to focus on it in our remaining moments. Um, they gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You get confidence in your salvation by putting your faith in the work. I think that's one of the things that Paul's trying to get across to us here. When you put your faith into work like these guys have, it's not just actions, right? These guys, I think you've seen there's a spiritual component to this as well, right? They're not, they're not super Christians. They're devoted Christians, right? There's a difference. Super Christians aren't real. Devoted Christians need to be real. We may be few and far between, but we need to be real. Amen? Right? When you put your faith into work, you gain, you gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You gain faith in your salvation. You also gain a little bit of faith in what, you can, what Christ can do through you. Some of us haven't seen very much of that. Maybe we haven't been doing very much. 
We haven't been giving him room to work through us, right? We want great faith. We can have great faith, great faith in our salvation. It's time to put our, our, our faith into work. So this morning, I know this lesson hasn't been incredibly evangelistic, um, but if you would like to talk and think more about Jesus, the carpenter that was crucified in Jerusalem, I would love to sit down with you and take that opportunity to talk to you about Jesus, what he means to your life, what he can do for your salvation, that he is the only way to salvation, that baptism into him washes away your sins and you become one with him. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be to line up with some of these things that we've talked about this morning, perhaps. Uh, if you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. There's a fountain free just for you and me that has made a way to the spring. Just a Good morning, church family. Chris, great lesson. Appreciate you, brother. Um, I'm glad things are getting back to normal. Um, tonight is the preacher exchange. Uh, Barry from Greasy Ridge will be here tonight at 4 o'clock. Um, or is that this evening? It's not really tonight. But, uh, but Barry will be here at, uh, speaking. And Chris, is, you're at Flatwoods, is that correct? And Chris will be at Flatwoods. Um, so I'm glad things are getting back to normal. Also, teen devotional after, t uh, 
after our four o'clock service. Uh, boys are to bring snacks and girls are to bring drinks. This is for middle school and high school. Um, also, the men's business meeting that was pre- previously, previously scheduled um, this coming Saturday has been postponed. Um, we'll pick a, another date for that. Um, so uh, look in the bulletin for a new date for that coming soon. Also, there are several sign-up sheets out in the foyer board. Um, please take an opportunity to check the foyer board out because um, we need to know how many people are, are, are going to these events. Uh, CYC, our Christian Youth Conference for our kids, is February 25th through the 27th. We'll be heading to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Um, we are needing snacks and drinks uh, for this trip, um, so I'll put a sign-up sheet for that. Um, the kids sit for four hours um, listening to speakers um, uh, at uh, CYC, so they, they tend to get hungry. Um, if you have kids at home, you know that. Um, cause, uh, so, and they, so they take these snacks with them to CYC, uh, and, they, and they snack on them, and it's better for them to do that uh, there instead of getting up and missing the speakers. So uh, if you can help out with snacks, that'd be greatly appreciated. Also, Young at Heart is this Tuesday. So far, I'm the only one signed up, and I don't want to go alone. Um, that's no fun. So uh, we are heading to the Chinese Buffet in Gallipolis. I do not know the name of it. Um, Peg couldn't remember the name of it either, but it is a Chinese restaurant. I think it's the only Chinese Buffet in Gallipolis. What's his name? That's, that's, that's all you need to know. Um, but we're heading to that buffet. Um, so if you're wanting to go uh, to Young at Heart with us, please sign up so that way we know you're, you're going with us. Um, that way I know I'm not going alone because that would just be sad. Um, also, men's retreat is scheduled for March 18th and 19th. So men, please put that in your schedule. Uh, it's at Howe's Mill. Um, so please sign up for that. We need to know how much food to prepare for that event as well. Also, we're needing Bible class teachers. A new quarter starts at the end of the month. Um, so if you can help out with teaching a Bible class and helping out with Bible hour, uh, please sign up for that. Um, also, Bible Bowl, for this is for kids and also adults. Uh, we're doing the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 25, um, on March 5th through the 6th. So if you want to join the Bible Bowl, at Centerville Church of Christ, uh, please sign up for that as well. Updates on our prayers. Remember, continue to keep Marvin Jordan in your prayers um, at this time as he's uh, going through rehab. Um, also, remember to continue to keep Pam Leap in your prayers. She fell last week and broke her arm in two places, um, one in her arm and one in her elbow, right, uh, right arm as well, so she's right-handed. So you know how difficult that can be. So remember to continue to keep pain leap in your prayers. Uh, Sue Powell will also have surgery on her other eye, February 23rd. So keep her in your prayers. She also wrote a thank you card I'd like to read to you. It says, thank you so much for the beautiful cards you sent and the text of encouragement, and especially the prayers with Christian love, Sue Powell. And this thank you card will be posted out in the foyer board. Also, remember, continue to keep Kristen Ward in your prayers and James and the rest of the family in your prayers as well. And also, uh, keep me in your prayers. I have several doctor's appointments coming up this month, um, so uh, keep me in your prayers as well. Um, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, don't forget to grab a 
uh, a bulletin on your way out. We have so many activities going on here at Rome. We'd love for your involvement uh, to get involved uh, with all the activities we have um, and fellowship with one another. Um, Gary, you have an announcement. Uh, Gary has an announcement um, uh, this time. A few months ago, we appointed three new elders. Two of those elders were deacons. You could probably follow Chris's lesson this morning and know that something would be coming, but we have two men that the elders have talked with, and we'd like to put their names before the congregation this morning for the next two weeks. If there's something that uh, you feel that needs to be discussed with the elders, if you would do that, we'd very much appreciate it. It'll all be done in a way that's pleasing unto God. And the first person is Dickie Parker, his wife, Tanya. They have two children, Greg Sullivan and his wife, Ashley. They have two children. We'd like for you to... Keep these two men and their families in your prayers. And if there's anything that, that needs to be said, please let us know. If you'll stand for the closing song and remain standing for the closing prayer. Thank you. We'll sing the first and last verse. Of, <clears throat> sing the first and last verse of... Hymn number 250, How Sweet, How Heavenly, and then Brother Alan Payne will have our closing prayer. <clears throat> First and last verse. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight when Wonderful Father, we come before you one last time this day, Father, in humble prayer. Thank you so much for all the blessings you've given to us. Father, we're so grateful for all the brothers and sisters gathered here this morning. We're so grateful for the opportunity to, to take of the Lord's Supper and, and to spend time with one another, and mostly to be able to sing songs and praises into your name. We pray, Father, now as we depart this place, you would, you would watch over us, keep us all safe as we travel. Be with those who are mentioned who are ill, Father, and pray that you would be, give a special eye to them. Father, again, we love you so much, and we thank you for all you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray, and amen. amen. Thank you, hey, John. How you doing? <laughs>
Say no. Come on. Come on. 